Well, again, good morning. Glad you're here with us. If you are a guest with us, again, thanks for being here. And uh, I'm brave in the cold and coming on out here. And if you're watching online, um, glad you're joining us uh, that way. And uh, thank you to our tech people who make that possible. And down in F3 as, as well. Um, so, just, just real quickly, there, you, you don't know this, you, don't, you won't uh, be aware of it probably, and it's just one of those hidden things, uh, but you are all right now being impacted uh, by something that happened this week here at Fellowship Bible Church. And uh, that is <clears throat> that after 20 years, uh, we've been in this building 20 years, we uh, switched out our HVAC systems up on the roof there, big units. Uh, I think we got one more left to do. And uh, thanks to our executive pastor, John Van Drunen, who was able to get about three more years out of those things um, uh, and, uh, and, a, and a great price for some new ones. We've got some new HVAC systems up there. So um, um, I, I, I don't want to hear any more complaint about being cold or being hot, you know, any of that. So. Um, and the wonderful thing is uh, we could afford it. Um, thank you for your generous giving over the years and, and wise savings uh, by our, our team here. And uh, we were able to, uh, to buy those things and put them up there. So anyway, hey, those are four words, by the way, that probably all of us have used thousands of times in our life. Very important words. Can I afford it? Can I afford it? Um, you need a new car. And um, that $35,000, $40,000 thing looks awfully inviting. But you know what? That you found that $15,000 used car. I don't know if used cars, even you can find one for $15,000 these days. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot more affordable and it'll do just fine. But you look over that brand new shiny one, you think, can I afford that? Or you're in the market for a new home, that $500,000 home price tag. I mean, it would fit nicely with the kids. Uh, got a little acreage, uh, but can I afford it? Can I afford it? Or maybe something as simple as after church uh, this noon, um, you'd love to sink your teeth into a nice juicy steak at Outback or someplace, but... You know, is that in the budget this month? Can I afford that? We're at the end of the month of January. You know, do we have anything margin in there? Maybe we should just grab the daily special at Subway. Can I afford it? We live in a material world. Granted, we need cars that run and we need homes that we can live in. We need, um, uh, we need food and clothing and shoes. We need a warm winter coat, uh, this winter for sure. We live in a material world, and so much of our life seems to revolve around those kind of questions. A material world, money. And yet, if we're not careful, questions like that can become so consuming, um, so overwhelming, that um, our, our, our focus on God is just kind of, you know, God is relegated to the back seat of life. Um, the, the needs of our life, the 
cares of our life, the wants of our life, um, can loom so much larger than God himself. We, um, it's interesting, the last month of Christmas time, Lisa and I are getting letters from friends our age, and they're all talking about they've retired this last year or something like that. And um, I know that at some point um, I'm going to have to face that as well. And it comes into my head a lot more. Can, can Lisa and I afford it? You know, have we saved what we should save so that we can have a retirement? That, I, I, it's not like I worry about it, but it, it, I do think about it a lot more than I did 10 years ago. Some of you might be having um, kids entering high school, and you're thinking, good night, in about four more years, they're going off to college. Can we afford it? What, what, what do we have to do to get them there? Um, and in this day of super high inflation, you realize inflation is at a 40-year high, all of us, uh, you know, what, what we were able to buy a year ago at this time, you certainly can't buy that same stuff today at the same price. It affects us all. Can I afford it? And the, and the question is, where does God fit into all this? Where, where is God in all of this? I mentioned last week how we can sometimes view God as, as that... Um, that proverbial genie in the bottle, that if we pull the cork and, you know, rub the bottle just right, he's going to pop out and he's going to give us what we want. Uh, The problem is, when we don't get what we want, we get angry with God. It's like we have this view of God that he's supposed to work for us that sort of way, and when it doesn't happen, um, we can get discouraged. We can get despairing over a God that, not a Christian life, that isn't all that it's cracked up to be. If it was all what it was cracked up to be, I would be enjoying my health and wealth and prosperity. Um, what's, what's happening here? It's so easy, I think, at times for Christians to equate the good news with the good life. Um, to have a mindset that, well, because I'm a Christian, it's supposed to go well with my life. That God is obligated to give me the goodies of life. Uh, We we correctly think that um, Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. We incorrectly think sometimes or define that abundance by the culture, by a worldly standard. We somehow get it mixed up that if God loves me, he will obey my commandments rather than me obeying his commandments. Our hope is in God, all right, but sometimes our concept of God is like that big vending machine in the sky. I push the right buttons and out come the goodies. Um, And what the goodies are that I want are the tangible things, are the things I I can touch, that I can see things that will make my life better here on earth. After all, doesn't the Bible say that God has given us all things richly to enjoy? We'll bring it on, God, especially when those circumstances of life seem to be working against that. The, the Apostle Paul understood these things. I mean, he, 
He writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 these words. He understands pain. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I mean, this was, this was God's man the great apostle Paul. And yet, in spite of those circumstances, there, there was a joy, there was a peace, there was a contentment that exuded from the apostle Paul. Where did that come from? Um, how did he have this attitude? Well, take your Bibles and turn me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Um, we'll, we'll start with verse 10. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 10, Paul says, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me, and indeed you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. But then he says in verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled, of going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. Now, Paul is going to say in this passage um, that worry-free living in spite of the circumstances is, is something that's, that's rooted in an understanding of the power of God in our life. In this personal, intimate relationship with a, with a powerful God who's working his plan in a powerful way out in our life. Worry-free living comes by experiencing the power of God in our life. He said in verse 11, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances is. Now, the, the word that's translated there, content, is a very interesting word. Paul is playing here a little bit with the Philippians' minds. Because that word for content is a Greek word, uh, atarkes, which has this idea of, um, well, literally it has the idea of self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency. Um, Paul uses this word that comes out of ancient Greek philosophy of the, of, of the Stoics, a philosophy called Stoicism. Um, we talk about people being Stoic today, they, they lack emotion or they... They, they lack passion. The people who seem to be indifferent to, to sorrow or joy, they're stoic. Ancient Stoics taught, among other things, that a person has the power within himself, innate with ability within themselves, to think and to reason their way into um, a state of tranquility that if you just think and reason, you can be free of distress, no matter what the surrounding circumstances of life. You have that innate 
ability, that, that, uh, that self-sufficiency within you to handle things um, so you're indifferent to the pains of life. You, you see this, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun, right? You see this ancient philosophical mindset today. Um, the force is within you. Look within yourself, Luke. You know, the, it's, it's in you. Just draw upon that. Look inside yourself. Find the inner strength. Find the inner strength. Self-sufficiency. Um, now, Paul is taking a play on words. He's taking this concept from Greek culture, and um, I've learned to be content, self-sufficient. And I'm sure the Philippians reading this letter would say, what? <laughs> what, 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 are you, what are you getting at here, Paul? And then he says in verse 12 again, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in uh, prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Now, if you've got a King James and a New King James, the word secret isn't in there, uh, but it's embedded in, in the, the word itself. I'll just explain in a moment. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. And Paul uses now another word out of that Roman Greek society that the Philippians would have been well aware of. Um, and this particular word, miao, um, is a Greek word that has to do with um, the mystery religions. In that time, there were these secret societies. I guess we have them today too. But in the, the ancient Roman society and Greek society, there were these mystery cults, and and you could get initiated into these secret societies. You know, learn the secret handshake and and all the, the, the mumbo-jumbo related to it. I have learned, so literally, when Paul says, I've learned the secret, I've learned the mystery, I have been, as it were, initiated into the mystery cult. And again, I'm sure the readers are reading this and thinking, well, Paul, have you gone, you know, Greek and Roman... Uh, philosophical on us, stoicism, mystery cults, what gives here? What are, you, what are you saying? How have you learned contentment, Paul? What secret, what mysterious secret have you learned? What, what are you trying to tell us? Have you slipped over to the dark side, Paul? Well, verse 13, he tells us, here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And with that statement, Paul is giving you the secret of his contentment that it isn't a self-sufficiency, it is a, a, a sufficiency that is within himself. It's not sourced in him, but in the, the Jesus in him. I have learned to be content in all things. I've learned a secret and here it is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Living triumphantly, Paul says, living the life that God has created me to live, living the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give. I can, I can experience that. I can do all things. And I think that's what Paul is saying. I can experience this life that God says he came to offer me this thing called the Christian life really does work, he Paul says, in me, but not because of me, 
but because of the Jesus in me. Peace and joy and contentment, Paul says, is not sourced in me, but it's sourced in the one who lives within me. For Paul, living life on this planet of woe all came down to the person of Jesus Christ. Paul had written earlier in chapter 3 these words, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I've suffered the loss of all things. You know, I count about rubbish so that I may gain Christ. There you have it. Here are all things of this world. And he said, if it, they're all gone, and that's perfectly fine with me because I've gained Christ. For Paul, the focus of his life was really not about changing his circumstances, bettering his position in life. It was all about living in light of who Jesus Christ was, appropriating Jesus in his life, growing in the grace and the knowledge of, of, of Jesus, pursuing him. Contentment and joy in life, Paul is saying, is, has nothing to do with right circumstances. It has everything to do with a relationship with the right person with Jesus and the daily power that he offers us in this sin-sick, worrisome worry. How to be worry-free in a worrisome worry world. And he says it comes down to understanding that there is a power source within us and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul can continues we look keep going in verse 14 and paul is going to talk about how worry-free living comes about but when we understand the promises of god he goes on verse 15 it says you yourselves also know philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel after i left macedonia no church with me uh, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving uh, but you alone um the Macedonians were great givers, and Paul is, is acknowledging that. They have a history of their involvement with missionary endeavors, of, of sacrificing and giving joyously, and Paul acknowledges that. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. But then he reiterates this idea of contentment. Not that I seek, he said in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He said, I've learned to be content no matter what the situation. I've learned the secret that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's wonderful. Thank you for the gift. But I don't seek the gift itself. I'm so happy and I'm so glad that because of your giving heart, because of your participation in the gospel, God is going to bless you. God is going to honor you. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and your life is laid out and, and you'll be rewarded for all of eternity from your faithfulness for, for serving, for the participation of the gospel, for sending those gifts to me and doing it out of joy with the right attitude. Um, Paul said, that's, that's what I care about. But then he said in verse 19, and my God, shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory 
in Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your needs. See, worry-free living comes when we understand the promises of God. And I have a sneaky suspicion that Paul had in mind the words of Jesus. Not from the Jesus Storybook Bible, but passed on in these traditions of the teachings of Jesus of the Sermon on Mount, like Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, don't worry and say, well, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? Jesus said, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. Just keep living for me. Just keep trusting the Father. He knows you got your needs. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And the Philippian church wasn't a perfect church by any means. But they were participants with the gospel. They had a worldview, a perspective of a worldview. They kind of understood why they were on earth and not yet in heaven. And they were participating in the, in the furtherance of the gospel. Um, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be added. And Paul's saying, look, just I'm exhibit A. I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances, whether I'm hungry or, or you know, I'm in want or I'm in prosperity. It, you know, it doesn't matter. The circumstances don't matter. I can do all things through him. His power that is within me. And I, I rest on the promises of God. The promises of God that says um, he supplies abundantly, richly. One commentator put it this way, God has not promised to supply all our greeds, but his promise is to supply our needs. J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary of the 19th century to China, put it this way, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it'll never lack God's supply. Uh, I'm sure I've shared this before at some point in 32 years. By the way, when I, I was thinking of this the other day. 32 years ago when I moved here, you know what the temperature was? What, just a, a week or two before we got here? Minus nine. Minus nine. So don't be complaining about when it says nine above zero. That was 32 years ago. You know, weather kind of cycles, but that's another thing. But um, when, we got out of, when I got out of seminary, we moved up to this little rural church in Nebraska. Um, I, I, I'd had a professor, a dear professor at Dallas Seminary, Stan Toussaint, who I remember saying one time in, in a class, he said, hey, gentlemen, guys, don't ever make money an issue. God will always supply. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it'll never lack God's supply. So just don't make money an issue. So I took him literally. I went up to a little rural church in, in Nebraska and candidated up there, and we talked all over different things in ministry and life, and they called us, and we moved up there. I had no idea what I was going to get paid. Never, that never came up. These farmers never talked about what they were going to pay their pastor. I had no idea until I first got my first paycheck, $200 a week. And we said, all right, Lord, you're going to supply. And he has, abundantly. Um, I think many of you can testify to the same. 
Uh, some of you may know that remember me sharing about my mom before she was married in the 40s, 1940s after World War II. She was involved in a ministry called Youth Home Missions. It was a ministry where this organization was out, started out of the Christian Business Women's uh, Organization, and um, they would pair up young gals and send them into areas where there was no church, no local church, mining camps and the mountains of Colorado, logging camps in Oregon, into the Ozarks, little villages in the hollers of, uh, of the Ozarks, and they would go in, young gals, and they would reach into the, the children into the community, do kind of child evangelism work, and reach the kids, and then out of that, kids uh, would connect with their parents, and then they would be able to share the gospel with the parents, and eventually a church would start it, and then village missions, the, uh, they would send a pastor in there after they so my mom, this young 20-something, is uh, with another gal going into these areas. And I can, and she did that for five years, then met my dad and married and had kids and all that stuff. I'll never forget my mom telling the Bible stories, but telling stories. How they literally did not know, these two gals did not know where the next meal was going to come from. They were flat out broke. <laughs> they had no more money. And then there'd be a knock at the door and some local person would be dropping off food. One time they were without, they, they had not a red cent between the two of them. And they prayed and my mom went to the mailbox, uh, that, the lady that they were staying with, and there was a check from her brother that covered that next month. God, God always supplies. That's the exciting thing about the Christian life. God is honored and blessed and loves as our Father to take care of His children. We've seen it here at Fellowship Bible Church over the years. We've heard stories just of individually, here, of people. You know what I'm talking about. And, I, and notice what it says. Um, he says he, that He gives us according to, my God will supply, verse 19, my God will supply all your needs, According to his riches, the most important word in that, that verse is the word according to. If, if, um, if you were a billionaire, and I mentioned to you a need, and you reached into your wallet and you gave me a $10 bill, you would be giving me out of your riches. But if you took out your checkbook and wrote a check for a million dollars and gave that to me, you'd be giving according to your riches in accordance with your riches not just out of but according to my god is going to supply all our needs according to his riches in glory in christ jesus abundantly amazingly um, exceeding abundantly beyond that we could ever ask or think that's how god works annie johnson flint and one of my favorite uh, songs that she wrote he giveth more grace she writes his love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Do, do, do you experience that? Do you experience it? Um, now, we will probably always use those four words. Can I afford this? And it's good. It's good to ask that question. 
But we never have to worry about our circumstances of life if we live in light of the power that is within us. I can do all things through Christ. And in light of the promises of God that he will richly supply us. Now here's my concern. It's a concern for myself, for, for all of us here, I think. I, I've not had to worry about what I'm going to eat tomorrow, what I'm going to drink, what I'm going to wear. Um, we, live, we live pretty good full lives here in the good old U.S. of A. And I've been able to seek first his kingdom and righteousness and, and be a part of that and not, uh, not have to worry about all these other things in life. Um, but what would happen if I did face those negative consequences? What would happen if all of a sudden all these material props are just removed? Where would I go? Where would I turn? The government? Call up my congressman? Call up my senator? My, my family? My church family? Does my view of God line up with the Apostle Paul's? Where he was able to say, I'm living in light of the power of God. And somehow in the midst of the circumstances that aren't very pleasant, somehow in some way, God will work his work in my life. I, I'll, I'll be able to, I can do all things through him. Lord, I can still experience the fullness of life. I can still experience joy inexpressible, full of glory. Lord, I can still see peace in my life that passes all understanding. I can still be a participant in the gospel. I can share the good news with a good attitude because of the power of Christ within me. And because of your promises, you're going to richly supply in your time, in your way, whatever that might look like. And it might not mean uh, taking care of the circumstances of life. It means you're going to supply richly right here, deep in my soul. Where do we turn? You know, as our country continues to be more and more entrenched in a, in a totalitarian mindset and in a very anti-Christian mindset, in fact, a, a continued movement towards a, really a hatred, a hatred of God and God's people. Um, will we as believers in Jesus Christ be ready? When the, when the threats of, of removing truth, the truth of, of the Bible out of the public arena relegating it merely to the, your private arena, when the threats of doing that, and they're threatening it, when those threats become reality, how are we going to handle it? How are we going to handle it? When our government steps in and says you cannot do this, you can't voice, that, that this becomes now hate speech, or this, you can't, you can't gather like this, will we be ready? And the voices are crying louder and louder these days in our society. Um, how about this one? I just read this yesterday. Um, as the Russian soldiers are 
on the border of Ukraine. Um, the article basically was saying they don't, they don't have to put a single troop in Ukraine to take that country down. All they have to do is some guy in some back room in Moscow do a few maneuverings on a computer and they'll shut down that whole country just like that. Cyber, cyber attacks. And then the article went on to say, America, watch out, because if you, if you get a little too nasty with Putin, that same guy in the back room of Moscow will do another little calculation and he'll shut down right here in the United States of America. Your retirement portfolio is poof, it's gone. Remember the colonial pipeline? <laughs> and if we think for one moment that, that couldn't happen, man, so we're, we're, we're living in a dream world. And here's, here's the concern. Are we as believers in Jesus Christ, followers of the Almighty God, are we prepared for that? What's going to happen? Where will our focus be? won't be just, can I afford this? It will be, can I survive this? Who do we turn to? And if we're not growing in our confidence of God and deepening our, our walk with Him on a daily basis, we will not be prepared. And if moms and dads are not inculcating great truths about a great God, of His power, of His promises, my word, these kids are going to, they're going to, they're not going to survive. And if we're seeing it, they're going off to college and they're walking away from their faith. Why? Because we've never really talked about a great God. We don't understand his promises. It's mere religion. Surface. And it hasn't reached deep into our soul of a love for God. Folks, we've got to be prepared for this. And it comes by an intimate relationship with Him. To know Him is eternal life and experiencing it. And the abundance of it. Do you really believe the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? Don't worry then. And say, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? The Gentiles eagerly seek for these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Seek first His kingdom and righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. And the bottom line, I think, for the Apostle Paul was that peace and joy and contentment were a reality in his life no matter what the circumstances were. No matter how bad the Roman government got, because of the power of God that was within him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And because of the promises of God that he will supply all our needs according to the riches of his glory. It's all about our relationship with the Almighty. Is it just a head nod an hour a week? Or are we growing in deep, intimate relationship and fellowship with him? For to me to live is Christ, said Paul in chapter 1 of this book. For to me to live is Christ. It's all about Him. I count all things as rubbish that I may gain Him. Is it any wonder that Paul concluded his letter in verse 20 with the doxology? 
Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now to our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Am I living each day focused upon Him and growing in the depth of a relationship with a personal God who is my Father? Because my Heavenly Father knows my needs. And because He does, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Even though I do, I don't have to. You don't either. If you know Jesus. Do you know him? Have you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone? Do you have a relationship with him that is based on what he has done on the cross? He paid for our sins, he died, he rose again, and he offers every one of us in this room, everyone listening, everyone down in F3, he offers us a free gift, the free gift of life eternal that begins now, not when we die. An eternal life with God. You put your faith in him, you've got it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you, to gather like this, and to, most of all, Father, hear from you. Remind us, oh God. Thank you for the, the ways that we really haven't had to worry a lot about things. Oh, we've lost jobs at times, but you've always supplied. We've lost loved ones and, and friends. But those who know Jesus, they're, they're there with you right now, and we'll, we'll join them. Circumstances of life, Father, can be not always very pleasant. But you are our Father, our Father who art in heaven. May we grow in our understanding of our love of our trust and dependency upon you. And we can trust your power in our life working mightily, your promises that will never, never be forgotten. You will always be faithful. And so, Father, I just say thank you for sharing in your word who you are and inviting us into an everlasting relationship of trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.